Welcome to What Bubbles Up. Pop open your mind and a cold one and get creative with your hosts, Bill and Barry. What bubbles up? What's poppin' everybody and welcome to episode 6 of this season of What Bubbles Up? Woohoo! A show about ideas. Where do they come from and how do you know when they're truly great? This is actually a very interesting uh, episode. It's actually a two-parter. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to be diving deep, deep into the world of illustration mm-hmm. uh, with two separate guests back to back. We're going to start off with a special guest who um, really dives deep into the world of comic books and my inner geek is loving <laughs> the prospect of this conversation yes um we're going to start off with the all-important question as we always do barry what are you drinking all right well so phil for this episode i went at least three miles from my house into uh, uh waltham <laughs> massachusetts to mighty sure. squirrel brewing for uh i got the a uh, cosmic distortion double IPA here, so I'm excited about this one. Oh, I wow. thought this would celebrate mighty moments. I thought this sort of felt superhero-y for me, so I'm going to crack oh, that one go. open. All right, let's hear it. There we go. Nice, nice. A double uh, IPA always hits the spot. Always hits the spot. What are you drinking, Phil? Okay. Well, for me, a little bit of uh, of the 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 zeitgeist of the moment is about revisiting old things, mm. um, and so I decided to go way back in history. Uh, the way uh, the Avengers did in Avengers Endgame uh, to <laughs> episode two of yes. the season uh, because I got a lot of flack for not drinking the 8.5% double IPA from Jake Endress's uh, Crooked uh, Run Brewing Company. Yes. So I've decided to choose this opportunity to redeem myself and drink the Crooked Run Verdant Force, which is the double IPA. Mm. Uh, with Simcoe and Citra Hops at a whopping 8.5%. I'm going to do it this time, Barry, just for you right, and our good. listeners. That's excellent. I've had, a, I've had a couple of those, I have to admit myself. That's fabulous. So why don't I dive right into it, Phil, and let's introduce uh, Tim Shin. Tim is a illustrator, a storyboard artist, and for fans of comic books, he's probably most notably known as a comic book artist, uh, does a lot of work uh, for Batman and and other uh, sort of properties in the DC universe, uh, and had actually one of the coolest statements I've ever heard. He said, "Barry, I may not be able to make it. Uh, I have to do a Boba Fett cover for Marvel." Which I thought to myself, <laughs> "If there's ever a, a really cool excuse for not making it, that that's it." I'm going to so, start uh, telling Tim, people that too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tim, welcome to what what bubbles up. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you guys doing? Very good. So oh, I don't wow. know. Are you, are you if you're drinking anything? This is your moment to sort of introduce the beer. If you are, sure. Um, I'm drinking a Star Hill Brewery Grateful Pale Ale. That oh is, yes, that's a brewery in Charlottesville, Virginia. Yeah, indeed oh, it is. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I know it all too well. <laughs> uh, that's where I went to school. I spent some time around that that area. Uh, I I definitely toyed with the notion of getting another Richmond beer. Uh, Tim uh, hails from uh, Richmond, Virginia, but I've done a lot of Richmond beers, so I decided to just you know go yeah. this route instead. So, so we're sitting here as we record this. We also look at each other over Zoom. I wish I wish I could show everybody uh, Tim. I'll have to get a, have Tim pose for a T-shirt uh, photo at the end here. He's got an old school Batman, like <laughs> like old old school Batman and Robin T-shirt on his. Fantastic. Adam West, the worst Adam ever West. actor ever. Yes. <laughs> 
Yeah. All right. So let's dive right into it. Um, Tim, let's, let's sort of start talking here a little bit. I, I think, you know, we had, we had had a conversation the other day and, and you sort of mentioned that, you know, your origin story really sort of getting into the world of comics in a way sort of started with a bunch of work that you used to do for Hasbro, uh, for Transformer, for My Little Pony, stuff like that. Tell us a little bit about uh, the work you used to do with Hasbro. Right. Well, my, my background um, as, as a professional, I started storyboarding in a studio in New York City uh, in 1996. So I worked mm-hmm. in the and. Uh, doing straight up pencil ink marker rendered uh, storyboards for mm-hmm. all the all the big agencies in New York City and and globally. Um, a lot of clients like BBDNO and Gray. Yeah, uh, a lot of those big clients. Um, after nine eleven, I lost my job. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I it wasn't it wasn't directly related to that. I had, I had finished my contract with this company yeah. and I had explored the idea of looking at freelancing, looking at other places. And, um, after that, that's just kind of like where I market, like, you know, late yeah. to, in the fall of 2001, I started freelancing. Yep. And, um, through the next couple of years as a freelancer, um, I got to work with some of the other smaller agencies. Um, I think this one was under DDB. Mm-hmm. It was for uproar, and I did a lot of lot of commercial stuff for uh, Transformers and and My Little Pony and Nerf and uh, their gaming like Monopoly and all that stuff. Yeah. Lots of jobs. Some of the guys that I w- worked with at the old studio were also freelancing at that point, and we were still in contact, and we would work on jobs together. And one of my friends uh, knew um, the comic artist Neil Adams, who also. Yeah. He does advertising artwork as well through his company, Continuity. Yep, yep. They basically our main uh, competition. Through that mutual friend, Neil was looking for a colorist for uh, storyboards and animatics. And they he recommended me, and that's when I started working with, with the Adams family. As <laughs> ah, nice. His, his wife, his, his kids, his daughters, his sons, they all, they're all part of the Continuity family. So yeah. uh, I started doing animatics and stuff with him and through that relationship working on advertising work that led into him his return to comics was around 2013 2014 yeah. and he asked if i wanted to 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 join him, and I said yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it like, as you sort of told the story the other day. It sounds like that was a big moment. He decided, you know, I'm going to get out of this advertising thing. I'm going to go all in on comics. Do you want to come with me? Like, and that's awesome. That must have just been like, yeah, big music. deal. I- I had met him in person a, a few times before. Mm. Uh, probably t- 2006 was one of the few times, the first time that I met him in person. That was in San Diego at the Comic-Con. And I think at that point, I may not have actually been working for him. But we, because we knew uh, our mutual friend, Kevin, he was, you know, sometimes if you're connected to someone that they know, you know, you get a little more attention sometimes. Um, so, but, you know, they were super awesome at the show meeting them there, but yeah, in, yeah. I had already been working with him for five or six years at, at by 2014. And I met him at a comic con here in, in Richmond, Virginia. And, mm-hmm. you know, at that point we had a working relationship through, through the advertising stuff. And he, you know, asked me basically there on the spot, you know, I'm going to get out of the advertising stuff and do comics. You want to do that too. So it's like, yeah. Yeah, you're kind of like, I was like, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Talking to me? Talking to me? Yeah. That's so cool. Um, 
So let's, so the, the podcast is obviously about the generation and creation of ideas. A lot of that comes from process, right? Um, and I, I, I just find the world of illustrated illustration fascinating. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about your process and, and you're wearing the old school shirt. You, you uh, remarked yesterday, this is decidedly old school process. So why don't you tell us in our uh, audience a little bit of how this whole thing works. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely a process kind of guy when it comes to professional work. Mm. Because you're being hired to do a job, the client has an idea about what they want done. Yeah. Um, they may or may not give you free reign to do things, and that's okay as long as you understand the the pramp, you know, the the constraints of, of time and and the end goal. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm I'm kind of a process guy when it comes to that. Like, you learn early on in advertising to not get, you know, you're not married to these things because they literally called it garbage art. You know, yeah, mm. they yeah. chose focus group and then they throw it in the garbage. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So. So it being you, you start to lose some of that ego part of it and start to focus more on the craft of it. So yeah, yeah. I'm still the- I'm still kind of old fashioned in the. But I still like to pencil on paper. I still like if I can ink things, I like to ink it with the brush and with pens myself by hand on a board. Mm. You know, that kind of stuff, light box stuff. You know, all mm. that kind of old fashioned kind of traditional art because that's how I was taught how to do it. Yeah. And, um, I, I find myself these days, especially with COVID and some of the clients that I have, I do a whole lot of marker rendering, which I never thought at this point in my career that I would be doing so much marker rendering, but I do tons. Yeah. Yeah. What I out doing, I mean, I, you know, a million years ago, 26 yeah, years. Yeah. 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 So like but, literally like when you're working with, with Neil Adams, um, mm-hmm. he, he's a, he, He's a he's a storyteller, story writer. He's also you know an artist in his in his own right. So how does that how does that interplay work? Especially now, I mean, you can't be together. Um, so right. like literally, an idea comes in. How does that how does that make its way to the page? It really helps because we all kind of speak the same language. Mm-hmm. You know, he's obviously been doing this for a very long time, and he's an excellent art director. <clears throat> and he art directs like when it's his book. When DC gives him a project, like he gets a contract with DC, he he writes it. And he pencils it and he inks it. And even when it comes even down to them doing the, the, the post-production, like the lettering and that kind of stuff, he still puts his, his, his stamp on it, makes sure that it's what he would yeah. want it. So he art directs a lot of what I'm doing. Like um, sometimes I get notes. Um, if I'm doing a cover, sometimes he has very specific ideas about that. So he'll do a marker, a really rough marker rendering as a guide to show me what he's thinking about. Cause sometimes he's got some pretty creative out there ideas. That's beyond just, you get an eight, a black and white ink drawing and you're putting color on it. It's like, there's a whole lot of other things going on sometimes. Yeah. Um, do some of those kind of special, um, uh, when we did the dead man stuff, he had very specific, you know, special things to do with the covers. Like we did glow in the dark stuff. You do stuff where you hold it up to a light and you can see through the page and oh, some very cool. Yes. You know, character comes out like that kind of stuff so he's got a lot of really creative ideas um but he you know he, it's his show when it's when it's that kind of story you know um yeah I'm, that, and and we our working relationship is from advertising so i'm very much used to taking direction and not quite so like 
Well, that's the way I colored it. And like, you're not, you're not doing that. Yeah. yeah. It's collaborative. I mean, I, I think that that's interesting. And I would imagine that a lot of folks don't necessarily think of the artwork in comics as a collaborative enterprise that, you know what I'm saying? They would, they sort of have this vision of it's like one person sort of alone, they draw and they write, they do the whole thing. But I, I love what you talk about at the back and forth. And I also think it's interesting how we I mean, talk a little bit about like you create a lot of layers in Photoshop. I mean, this is part of the thing that we discussed, like, you know, you get these pencils and then they become digital. Then you're able to create layers and create color. Like talk a little bit about how you, you know, the difference between, sort of the pencil difference between the ink and then the difference between sort of the color work. Uh, well, when I'm specifically, when I'm working with him, I get digital files of his inked pages. Mm. Um, so, you know, he's still physically inking on blue line, you know, comic pages. They scan those in and they send them to me. Usually they're, they're pretty cleaned up, but I do some cleanup too in Photoshop. Um, and then you're just making that ink layer into a, a transparent, you know, multiply layer, and then you're doing your colors. I like to break it up in terms of like animation cells. Like, so I do the backgrounds are mm. one element that I work on and you can see through the figures while you're doing all that stuff. So you're, you're creating the temperature and the, the mood of the room, the, the environment. Mm -hmm. Then I go into layers that are separate as in, if I'm doing like a, um, uh, the page with Batman and Dead Man are on the same page. I basically color all of the Dead Men first. Oh, cool. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then I color all of the Batman so that they're consistent. Like I, a lot of times, um, if I've got something from a previous book that's been approved by him and by DC, and in order to keep it consistent, I pull those flats, the flat layer of color yeah. off of an older page and use that as my palette so that it stays the same. Right. So that the process is always the same. You're doing flats. Uh, you do a, a layer or two of shadows to model it. You do a layer or two of highlights to, to, to give it some hot spots. Mm -hmm. um, you try to keep it that simple. Obviously, sometimes stuff, you turn it in, it's like 50 <laughs> layers later. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I'll still basically, it, I'm still only working on kind of that three, three basic layers. Sometimes you're breaking them up into sub layers, but I'm a guy that I went to art school, uh, 93 through 95. Yeah. So yeah. Photoshop, the teachers didn't even really know what to do with Photoshop, you know, yeah. Yeah. A, a printout from a pamphlet or whatever from a book. And the teacher's like, you know, good luck. So literally I've never had an actual Photoshop for real, like beyond 20 hours at art school. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Never had any training, but Photoshop's great because it's so intuitive. Yeah, yeah. Once you build your own system, it all it all still works. You still get to the same place. Yeah. Um, a lot of a lot of you know, obviously, comics need to be formatted a certain way when they go to the, the printer. Mm -hmm. So when you're working digitally and you're looking at the image on a screen, you kind of work at, in a different format, and then you have to make sure at the end you've converted it and you've tested it to make sure that it will print properly. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that's really good about working with Neil and with continuity when we're doing these books for DC is they constantly send us samples and we'll print it out and we'll see where we're at at this point to make sure we need to go 10% lighter, 20% darker. Like mm -hmm. those things are important because they understand pr printing. Like I'm kind of a novice when it comes yeah. to that. I've only been coloring comics since 2014 Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, on a regular basis. So, like, my tendency is to push it a little more rich colors 
which are more advertising oriented. Yeah. Yeah. And when you print it in comics, it, you have to back it almost every time I have to reduce everything, the, the, the saturation by like 20%. Yeah. At that point, like I know at some point I have to just kind of stop and like back everything off. <laughs> yeah. You're going to, you're going to use all the ink in the printer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. It's right. going to smudge. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even the artist needs to be uh, conscious of the budget. Um, <laughs> so, so that's a wonderful sort of a deep dive into, into the, into the technical and the, in the functional, let's go emotional and, and, and story. Right now, now <clears throat> first, the, the first question here is really, are you a fan of the of the work? Is this a little bit of your your inner fanboy saying, "Wow, I can't believe I get a chance to to do this stuff"? Um, and then maybe you can talk a little bit about, um, uh, you know, maybe some of your most famous uh, characters, your most famous covers, the, the the stuff that you're perhaps the the proudest of in this particular genre. Well, yeah, I definitely, I'm a fan. I've been uh, I've read comics probably since I was ten years old. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a real treat that I'm still completely a fan when I meet a lot of these guys. And, um, it's funny, like we're sort of peers, but I, I still don't, I don't see myself that way. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I met Larry Hama a couple of times and oh. I absolutely love Larry Hama. He's like my favorite writer. Yeah. And yeah. He all the great GI Joe stuff and he still does great GI Joe stuff. And I can barely speak to the guy when I see him. Because <laughs> So, uh, you know, what do you, what do you say? Like, yeah, but those are, those were some of the first books that I ever had were the, his GI Joe books. And I was hooked ever since. Mm-hmm. And yeah. those were, those were the rare occasions where I wasn't buying a comic book specifically for the art, but for the way it was written. Mm-hmm. And today I'm still not that guy. I look for the art always. Interesting. Um, yeah. So there's a full of writers that I, that I will seek out, but I'm, I'm definitely the art guy. Yeah. They say never to meet your heroes, but that's uh, not the case here. Uh, uh, you know, I, I'm not one to, to to talk about people, so I'm not. I'm definitely not going to do that. But that kind of thing has happened. Like when I was in art school, um, pretty big guy from the '80s uh, was at a show and getting to meet him, and he was kind of rude to a bunch of little kids, and I was just oh. like, oh, that kind of burst my bubble. So yeah, yeah, it happens. I mean, people have bad days. The guy might have just been hungry and needed. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah. Was it Todd McFarlane? Nobody's listening. <laughs> Don't do it, Phil. Don't do it. No, yeah. I met some of those guys. Um, I think I met Mark Silvestri in San Diego, yeah. and it, like he would never, he would never in a million years remember me. It was just me as a fan meeting him at a show, like a gazillion other people. So, yeah. But super nice guy. He was very friendly. I think we even did. I was out there pitching a book you know, trying to kind of get your foot in the door type thing. And we did one of those old school portfolio reviews with uh-huh. our book. Mm-hmm. And he was one of the people that was in the group. He liked what I drew, but yeah, you know, that book didn't go anywhere and it may yeah. never go anywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, who I went out with the writer, he's done very well since then with novels and TV stuff. And yeah. Cool. Yeah. So yeah. how, how is it? So, I mean, you sort of described yourself as obviously you're a DC guy, a Batman guy. I know you've done the dark horse stuff. You've done a lot of green arrow. <laughs> you, you were sort of I'm not you were, sure. write me a check guy. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, there's that. That's true. <laughs> That's right. Like, where is it? I'm your no, guy. I know. Yeah. 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 
but you you were sort of saying like you're doing like like talk a little bit about some of the stuff you got coming out right now like the, you got the Batman versus Rasgul thing I think you were sort of saying that's right. coming out there's a bunch now of that, stuff yeah the Rasgul book was scheduled to be finished last fall hmm. and or no it was in, jan- by January I think yeah. and that's when COVID hit uh, we'd already had number five was in the can and yeah. number being finished. And basically, since COVID, they've delayed everything. That, yeah. That, yeah. As far as that series, I think they just wanted to wait. And none of this, none of the shipping stuff, like all the weird stuff with the shipping mm-hmm. and the distributors happened all during that too. So they just put it on hold. And um, uh, two weeks ago, they just released uh, Raza Gold 5. And I just redid a new uh, uh, cover with Neil for number six. We'd initially had a cover, and anytime you give him more time to think of something else, he'll think of something else and do do it again and and come up with something cooler. So we did just recently finished another cover for number six. So maybe there'll be two covers, maybe there won't. I'm not sure. Yeah, but that's that's probably next month. You know, three weeks. Yeah, very cool. Raza Ghoul, by the way, Barry, if you're not uh, familiar, he was the character I think that was played by Liam Neeson in the. First mm-hmm. century in the trilogy done by yep. Christopher Nolan. Yeah. Um, that, that gave way to Bane in the third installation. Uh, right. which I don't know if that's canon. I, I think they I think he may have taken some liberties with that. But again, <clears throat> I'm not uh, I'm not a Batman guy. So am I, well, am I wrong about that? They they had I think the connection was the League of Assassins stuff. Yes. Yeah. But I don't uh, honestly that the, the Bane stuff wasn't part of the the Neil and Denny O'Neill run that was mm. from seventies. So I think Chuck Dixon's the the Bane guy. Ah, yeah, 80s, yeah. 80s, 80s Chuck Dixon Batman. Yeah. So so the the big question that I have that I think is interesting is, I mean, and, and I think we talked a little bit about this when we last spoke, but you know, comics used to be a little bit sort of formulaic. Like there was sort of a look, right? That that kind of happened, like. There, you no matter who the artist was, you were try, sort of trying to sort of draw co- with consistency, and then at some point, like Frank Miller and the Dark Knight, kind of like happened. And uh, yeah, I, I, formula is kind of a strange term, I would think, mm. because definitely these days there's a lot of formula going on. It's just a different yeah. formula. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I understand what Fair you're point. saying. House style. Yeah. You know, there's specific Marvel. That was the when I do uh, sketch cards for Marvel and for Upper Deck. Yeah, they want you to do things that are connected to the properties. Uh, like the I'm currently working on Falcon Winter Soldier cards. Yeah, and to the show on Disney Plus, but you cannot draw the actors and you cannot draw the costumes from the movie. Oh wow, really? Okay, yeah. Too much involved with getting it approved. So what we what I draw is Marvel six one six characters. Yeah. So oh. if I'm drawing Bucky or I'm drawing Falcon, I draw them the way that they are. I draw the Marvel way, and that way the stuff gets always gets approved. Um, same wow. with um, all the Marvel properties. I I go all the way back to Jack Kirby style and that kind of stuff, and like John Romita. Mm-hmm. Like I, if I'm drawing Spider Man, I draw it the way John Romita drew it. Oh, that yeah. Wow. Because I guess, it's, I, I guess the, the version. Yeah, I guess the question for me though is is it's like. 
there are all these sort of like conflicting sort of things where you have to have a house style. You have to avoid some of the sort of like the, the almost like trademarks that are happening a bit more in the film business. Like, so how, how, when you sort of look at an illustration, do you, do you know it's like a great idea versus just sort of an okay idea? Like, what are you, what are you looking for that really makes something sort of stand out as like, is it, is it, because it, it doesn't sound like maybe the most unique answer is necessarily what should stand out. Because sometimes you're trying to sort of like have it feel a part of a house style or a family. Like, I guess, what are the characteristics you look for or what are the metrics that you use to kind of judge a great illustration from simply a good one? That's super hard to nail down. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because there's so many different ways. Like for me, I, I kind of start at fundamentals. So I, and it's something that I struggle with as an artist myself, drawing things correctly. And I look at guys like, I love guys like Lee Weeks. Yeah. Because they're such beautiful illustrations and they're in that realm of reality. And God knows what he's drawing like, and it's shows, but you can't, you can't not, you can't discount someone, um, who does something that's really stylized. Um, like even Art Adams. Like mm-hmm. it's all kind of cartoony and like kind of big feet and like that, you know, <laughs> they yeah. got kind of stuff. Like, and it's not, it's not that it's wrong, but that's where the stylized part comes in. Like uh, Walter Simonson's a fantastic draftsman, but yeah. it's all, for, it's, it's not even Kirby. It's his own thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But it's all it's all kind of informed by that stuff. Uh, I, li- I like guys like Eric Larson, who's kind of and over the years he's developed into that uh, a more of his own language and brought in some of the the stuff from Kirby and that kind of stuff, and it really shows. Yeah, like his his maturing over the years. Like it's all great, but it's like none of those guys looks like Lee Weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I them all. So it's like it's it's more about like are they are they using the, the, the fundamentals of drawing and composition and those kind of things in a way that works? Like they're, if they're trying to tell you a story and it starts to fall flat, there's just something in there that that's, that's missing. There's, there's a lot, you know, comics is you go to a comic shop on new comic book day, there's still tons of books. And it's like a bunch mm-hmm. of these are probably going to be misses. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So the, the gyms are, are, it's almost like you're kind of hunting, through the old rack looking for the looking for the one superstar in there and there's quite a few obviously Yeah. yeah what bubbles up so now we're we're in this um <clears throat> since uh about 2008 and probably even well well before that even 2002 when the uh Toby Maguire Spider-Man movies came out the comics are now basically the conduit to a multi-billion dollar industry <laughs> uh yeah. and I have to admit uh I I relished the free uh, Disney Plus uh, account opening when I got you know some like maybe my laptop or something like that um, so I've been rewatching a lot of those uh, MCU movies, and I, you know, clearly I've got HBO Max as well. And I, <laughs> against all my best judgment, st- st- uh, stayed up until two in the morning watching all four hours of the Zack Snyder cut of <laughs> Justice yeah. League. Um, 
So talk a little bit about that. Like, how does your work get um, impacted or does it at all by the, the sort of cinematic reimagining of some of these well-loved characters, especially when, you know, Reddit and, and Twitter are merciless uh, on, on some of these things. Um, yeah. do, you, do you float above all that or do you, do you feed off of it? Uh, honestly, I, as I've gotten older, my, my aim is to avoid a lot of that stuff because it's such a sewer of, yeah. of like some of it's legit criticism. Like we can look at something and say, well, that wasn't so good. Mm-hmm. But so much of the stuff that's online, it, it's just, it just descends immediately into just like name calling stuff. And mm-hmm. I've, I've been uh, guilty of it myself. I can remember when they originally cast Ben Affleck as Batman, mm-hmm. being one of those people making my snarky little comments anonymously online. Yeah. And then going back and thinking, I was like, what a stupid thing to waste your energy on. Yeah. And like mm-hmm. yeah. saying, he was pretty good in those. And it's like, probably because of snarky ass comments like me, he ended up not going any further with it. And we're all a little worse off for it, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. The Batfleck. I agree. I, I actually, it's funny kind of coming back and like watching, cause I have, I have not gotten through all four hours. I don't, I don't know, <laughs> but I kind of, I mean, he's kind of perfectly cast. He's sort of old. He's sort of like a little bit like worn down. I actually think he's like perfect for kind of the aging Batman in a way, you know, I, you know honestly it, for me, it's just, a, it's just the choice of that's the Batman that we're going to look at. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I kind of yeah. want to see, Prime, you know, doing the detective stuff, you know, yeah. getting a little, that kind of thing going on. Um, maybe like let's do some different villains. Like yeah. there's a billion cool villains to do. Spider Man's the same way. He's got so many great villains. Like, oh yes, don't have to do the same guys every time. Yeah. But you know, I, honestly, when it comes to that kind of criticism stuff, I I, I notice it, I guess, but I, I avoid commenting yeah. on a lot of things these days. It's just. It's just I'd rather spend time with my kids or I'd rather, <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd rather be drawing or taking a walk outside than yeah. crying about something on the yeah. internet. So, well, and I've, I've definitely spent my time, like when they transformer movies were coming out and I was, you know, I love transformers from the time I was a 10 year old, 11 year old kid. Yeah. You know, you've got plenty of opinions about that stuff. And it's like, it's okay to not like something for a little bit, like, but it doesn't have to ruin your life. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. The Star Wars is a great example of that cause my kids, um, they like a lot of the prequel stuff. They like uh, Revenge of the Sith a lot. And I think a lot of younger kids like the, because yeah. it spoke more to them than it did to me. It's like, it's okay that they're, those are their movies. And like the sequels came out and it's like, you know, they're not making these for me anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. People like me, you know, we're we get we get so stuck in our ways and expect a certain thing. I think the WandaVision stuff was a great example. I was talking to my son about it. We were spending the whole time like, oh, there's Mephisto. That guy's gonna be Mephisto. She's working for Mephisto. And yeah. it's like, why don't we just watch it and let it be what it is instead yeah. of us trying to guess yeah desperately trying to fit it into the canon it's it is so funny i totally agree with that on the star wars thing i mean obviously you know i'm i'm a little bit older but i i literally remember sitting in the kitchen with my dad watching the television commercial for the very first star wars movie and my dad just turned to me and said wow we got to see that Mm -hmm. and like 
that's my that's my that's my part of the canon right there. Everything else was like sort of interesting, but like it's just do you know what I'm saying? And that's just it's, because I think I was at the formative age and and it is what it is. You know, that's that's exactly what it is. With my kids, you want you want them to let the stuff be theirs. And it's yeah. like you're if you get to be part of that, like let's just kind of go along for the ride there. Like my kids are like we can't wait to go see Kong versus Godzilla, but it's not driven. <laughs> It's driven by them. It's like uh, over COVID, the one great thing about all that was the yeah. local uh, drive-in theater stayed open. Oh, yeah, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. We would drive out to the countryside and go to the drive-in, and we were watching Ghostbusters 1, uh, Raiders yeah. of the Park, oh, all the close encounters of the third kind. Oh, favorite, favorite. I need a drive-in theater, Phil. That's what this is about. That's a I, Kong yeah. versus Godzilla is the perfect drive-in movie. Oh, a hundred percent. And I, I think you really tapped into something there, which is it's it's associative. I mean, the yeah. movies themselves are amazing, but it's yeah, it's about you know capturing that 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 time and place. Yeah. Um, and to not like to cast aspersions on what was created after those periods. And right. give that that venom and negativity and pass it on to our kids, like that's why Star Wars isn't as popular because all of these, you know, nerdy fanboys, which of which I am one, um, <laughs> are talking such shit about you know the prequels and yeah and and even yeah. you know the Disney fied uh, uh, sequels that it's like you know yeah I I'm I'm with you. Having said that, however, <laughs> let me be a little selfish and do a little rapid fire. Questions from ten-year-old self, yes. um, or my eight-year-old son. Yes, um, it's a new segment we're introducing for this episode only. That's right. And um, okay, think, think, it's called things you're going to pretend your eight-year-old son wants to know that actually Phil wants to know. That's right. exactly right. Yes. Yeah. Okay, okay. Good. Go. Number one. What is Batman's superpower other than being rich? <laughs> It would ha probably have to be his training and his education. Hmm. Like he's a smart guy. Yeah. Okay. Like I, I think I, he's learned. He's conference. learned to fight. He still has to fight in that thing. But I'm with you. It, uh, believe me, uh, I would like to have that superpower more than other superpowers. That would be a good one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, and if you go back to the, you know, you even said it earlier. He was a, he was a master detective. Yeah. Like he he's a fact finder, um, and then yeah. eventually got into all the. He's kind of, he's kind of like peak human. He's like the best physical shape, the best hand to hand combatant, best detective. Mm -hmm. uh, so like Sherlock Holmes, smart kind of guy. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's good. That's point. probably the analog. All right, number two. Could could Thor, in his heightened awareness, with Stormbreaker, defeat Thanos? Stumped him. I'm not, well, no, I'm not sure because then he didn't. He went for the head, right? Chopped his head off, right? He, he, <laughs> he well, let's see. This is where it gets interesting. This is MCU versus, right. versus Marvel canon. I, I don't have a dog in that particular fight. I think the MCU is great, but um, the way that they depicted him um, in, in Infinity War after, after, you know, post Ragnarok, oh boy, we're getting geeky. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, with his heightened, uh, you know, uh, at the peak of his powers, yeah, yeah, it, and Stormbreaker broke through the uh, the the, the gauntlet. Um, I don't know. I think he could have taken him. That's just my 
That's just that's just me. <laughs> All right, good. Well, I'm glad we answered that question, Phil. People really were answered, interested in knowing that one. Yeah, that's part of the storytelling of, of Endgame was that he could have killed him and he chopped him in the chest instead. Mm. So I think I think you're right. I think because he did eventually chop his head off. True. If he if he'd have chose differently at that moment, the the blip might not have happened. Right, mm. right, right. That's okay. a lot of for him to carry around. It is. Well, that's why he got fat. Um, <laughs> I don't know what my excuse is, but that's why he yeah. did it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Two, two more. Um, uh, 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 Ryan Reynolds, Green Lantern. Thumbs up or thumbs definitively down? Hmm. Ryan Reynolds is great at being Ryan Reynolds. Um, I'm not sure if he was great at being Hal Jordan. Uh, um, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't... I, don't I, totally, I have to I, say, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that film version way more than other people. I, right? I don't know. I just sort of found it. Yeah. Yeah. He was born to be Deadpool. He's, he's way better at Deadpool than he was. At yeah. Screen. But it, I, a lot of times it's kind of not there. It, it all kind of goes back to the writing and stuff too, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's yeah. a lot of cool stuff in that Green Lantern movie, but um, I think more, the bigger problems were like with the the villain is all kind of formulaic and all that. Maybe yeah. that the parallax, the, the giant Hot Wheels thing. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, that that was an issue. Um, who wins in a fight between Darkseid and Thanos? Let's put it to rest once and for all. Hmm. There, there's such both of them are so cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we haven't really seen dark side other than in cartoons now he was in the superpowers cartoon and I, I i'll call my brother uh every once in a while and just say one million blings like, <laughs> like uh and the uh what was the guy's name black lightning he was, yes. one million blings yeah <laughs> black lightning exactly superpowers Oh man, Super Friends. Welker or something, right? Doing the voice. That- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. There's probably about a thousand more. I get these <laughs> at least 20 times a day, but I, I will put yeah. it to rest. Had a helicopter. Say again? Dark Side never had a cool helicopter, I guess, like Thanos had. Yeah. Did Thanos have go. a helicopter? Yeah. Yes. Oh, that seems way, foolish. Way early on, he escaped from one adventure in like a chopper. okay that's 1973 comic book writing for you yeah yeah all right let's move it let's move into the what do we steal here section i think phil i i think think this is this is awesome uh you've now got material for your for the you've now got you've got dinner time material to like to like handle you there definitely so like like i mean you tim's obviously got a really interesting story i i love what he's kind of gotten into but what are you going to what are you going to steal if you're if you're an up and coming artist like what are some like lessons from like tim's journey that that maybe would be particularly inspirational to you well you know one of the things that that i really gravitated to i, I used to work with uh with a, an experienced designer who you know, we we did a lecture at um at howard university mm-hmm. uh 5 6 years ago to a bunch of uh, students who were just trying to get into the advertising game and the marketing game or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. And he said, um, I start way far away from the computer and I go straight to markers. And he held up all of his markers and his pe- papers 
And I used to see this guy in, in, in meetings, in briefing sessions with, with, with clients, just with paper and markers and like, you know, wireframing on the fly and drawing the drop shadows with his light gray marker. And, and, um, I think that there's something sort of beautiful and, and, um, ascetic, uh, about going to the basics and starting from just, you know, the markers and the ink and the pencil on paper. Yeah, uh, which which is basically to say, that craft skill will never grow old. It will never go out of style. It will never not be applicable to anything we do digitally. Right? It's not like Tim doesn't work digitally. He does it all the time, but he starts with paper, pencil, and ink, and that's kind of like you know a good lesson for folks coming up. The fundamentals never change. Yeah, uh, the basics never go out of style. And if you know the craft, you know the basics of the craft as well. So being an artist does not necessarily mean you're the best at, you know, using Sketch or Photoshop or whatever it is. It's like, if you can draw, you can draw. If you can write, you can write. If you can design, you can design, no matter what the medium is. So start with the basics, focus on the fundamentals, and everything can go from there. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's so true. I, I hate it. I mean... Uh, when people go right to sort of digital mediums, they look too polished too quickly and they mm-hmm. get too focused on the details and, and at a time when you're supposed to be thinking about the bigger idea. So I love that. The thing that I'm going to steal, though, is I, I just sort of love the idea of never stop being a fan. Mm. And 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 <clears throat> even someone as incredibly accomplished as Tim is, obviously, he's still a fan of the genre that he works in. And I think mm-hmm. that passion can't help but it sort of infect his work. Um, and so I think, you know, if you're a writer, still be a fan of other writers. If you're a designer, still be a fan of other designers. If you're, you know, sort of in the experience design game, like we are, Phil, still mm-hmm. be a fan of like other agencies and other people who are creating really incredible stuff that you're kind of jealous of. And I think mm-hmm. that that kind of um, passion and love and fandom actually is, will hopefully sort of like fuel your own art and your own creative expression. I think that that's, that's a really smart lesson. And so uh, true. yeah, that, and, and whenever you meet someone who's obviously a fan of you, don't, don't be a jerk. I think that's the other lesson well, that's, that, I, yeah. that I learned from Tim. <laughs> yeah. But I think we know that. Do not yeah. bite the hand that feeds you. That's yeah. uh, that's definitely a lesson worth keeping. Yeah. So Tim, amazing stuff. Uh, we are really thrilled that you are able to join us. We are fans ourselves as well. Um, and uh and, uh, but, but, but thank you very much. I, 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 I think that, I think your, your story is, is fabulous for our listeners and, uh, and, uh, just really sort of exciting to see, do you have anything that you want to kind of like plug that's about to come out that so that people listening to the pod can be on the lookout for some of your work? Hmm. Uh, yeah, there's a few things that are coming out. Like I said, uh, uh, Batman Ra's al Ghul six, which is the final issue of that series will come out, uh, next month, I believe. And probably they'll do trades after that. And then um, anytime uh, I'll, I've got another uh, Green Green Arrow 80th anniversary, it'll be like a hundred page, super spectacular. Oh wow! <laughs> mm-hmm. Those, we're doing. I did a variant cover with Neil for that. Yeah, uh, and it's pretty cool looking. Um, other than that, there are some trading card sets for tops. Probably several Star Wars sets. Mandalorian season two. I did a ton of cards for that. Um, after that, there'll be some Marvel, Marvel sets over the summer and some more star Wars stuff. I think I've got maybe six, uh, trading card, sketch card sets to work on over the next couple months. Oh, Very fun. Cool. 
yeah. most yeah. Star Wars and Marvel stuff. Um, awesome. Well, other than, that, other than that, I'm always I'm always doing commission work, uh, advertising work, and whatever other comic stuff comes across the desk. Like I said, um, I might be doing that Boba Fett cover, but I haven't heard anything today, so it's starting to or like not. Oh. <laughs> well, we're our fingers are crossed. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I have enough. Another two hundred questions about Star Wars uh, stuff, Barry. I, uh, it's too. It's too soon. Oh. Yeah, no, we got to wrap. We got to wrap, Phil. Yes, we let's. Okay, fair, fair enough. Let's wrap it up. Yeah. So, all right. Thank you. Thank you to Tim Shin for joining us, and thank you to all of you for listening. Um, you know, this is fantastic. Another great episode. Listen to part two coming up uh, very soon here. And uh, and uh, for those of you who haven't yet subscribed to What Bubbles Up, please do so. We are, of course on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Overcast, and many others. Um, or you can just go to whatbubblesup.com, uh, where you'll find our Anchor pod, and you could subscribe there. Phil? If you want to get in touch with us, please feel free to do so by emailing us at whatbubblesup at gmail.com or following us on Instagram and Twitter at whatbubblesup. Once again, thank you so much to Tim Shin, comic book illustrator extraordinaire, for joining us. We will see you on the next episode of What Bubbles Up. Cheers. What bubbles up? What bubbles up? My feels pumping off my podcast. What bubbles up?